0: Hello, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm the senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship, and today we are continuing on in our series entitled Coming Face to Face with Jesus. We are looking at different encounters that John, one of Jesus' disciples, recorded for us in his gospel. A gospel is an eyewitness account, and John's case here of an eyewitness account of the life and times, the ministry of Jesus. He traveled with Jesus and saw him interact with people, and out of these interactions of people coming face to face with him, we learn a lot about Jesus and why he's here, and we also learn a lot about ourselves. Today's no exception, so inside uh, your bulletin you'll find an outline where today we're going to talk about how the disciples and some hungry people came face-to-face with Jesus when Jesus had to provide a miraculous meal for them. You may have heard this story is referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Well, we'll talk about that, but we're going to talk about it as John did, how it impacted the people who were there. And out of that, I think we'll get a good glimpse of who we are as well. I'd like to have a word of prayer for us, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. I thank you for your word. It's our guide in all matters of faith and practice. And, Lord, I pray that we will see ourselves in the lives of the disciples and the people who are there when you uh, miraculously multiplied uh, food so lots of people could eat. I pray, Lord, you'll feed our souls from this message today. I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. There's some fill-in-the-blank items in this outline. If you didn't grab a pen on the way in, just raise your hand. One of our ushers will be glad to pass a pen to you. You can take some notes in the margins as well. Um, Point one on your outline is simply this. One day, Jesus fed more than 5,000 people with a little boy's lunch. Here's how it happened. This is from John chapter 6. A huge crowd kept following Jesus wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Well, I should think so. I mean, blind people could see. We talked about that last week. You had lame people that could walk. Jesus could do amazing things. And so everywhere he went, I mean, huge crowds followed him. One day when Jesus was out kind of in the countryside near the Sea of Galilee in northern Israel, Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming to look for him. And turning to Philip, who had grown up in that area, he asked, Where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Now, he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. And Philip replied, Well, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. I mean, in some other translations, it's more specific uh, on this one. It would be eight months' wages. I mean, just for round numbers here $100 a day, five days a week. You know, I mean, my goodness, you're talking $500 a week. And if you went and did that for eight months' wages, you'd be talking more than $20,000. And the disciples, Philip was going, I don't have 20K in my wallet, Jesus, okay? I don't know how we're going to feed these people. He knew places where they could buy bread, but he goes, we don't have that kind of money. And Jesus knew that. So why would he ask Philip a question like this? If Philip, if he already knew what Philip was going to say, and he already knew what he was going to do, he was going to do a miracle here. Jesus is the son of God. Why would he do that? And the Bible says, well, he was testing him. Here's a life application for you and me. When our faith gets tested, I mean, Philip's a follower of Jesus. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I get tested too. When our faith gets tested, we have an opportunity opportunity to grow and mature. To grow and mature. There is a false notion out and about, and it's been around as long as Christianity's been around, that Jesus came into the world to make my life comfortable and make me happy all the time. That's not the case. And you'll see that as we go through the story today. Jesus, his primary concern in Philip's life and with the other disciples in this story, it's abundantly clear. And in my life and in your life is to prepare our souls for heaven, to to get our eyes off the things of this earth and onto heavenly things, to see things from God's perspective and not our own. And he's working on us all the time. And so we consider it a great travesty and a great tragedy that God would ever allow difficulties or hard circumstances to come into our lives. And God doesn't consider it that way at all. He's trying to help me grow and mature, and he's helping you do the same thing. And so he's got to put us in some situations sometimes where we're going to have to really see, do I believe this or not? Do I trust in God or not? And that's what he wanted to see if Philip would turn to him. James 1, James was a half-brother of Jesus, and here's what he said about this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And James had been through those himself because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so we act like it's a strange thing that happens to us when we go through difficulties as Christians. Lord, I'm trying to obey you. Lord, why am I going through this? Well, sometimes we go through hardship. It's not a punishment for anything. God's testing us. He's helping us mature. He's helping us to build up some endurance, some spiritual muscle, if you will. Because man, when we go through those hard times, God speaks to us really, really clearly. At least he does to me. Anybody else? He speaks to you really clearly through the hard time? Yeah. All of a sudden, the Bible reading becomes important. And the praying's real. This isn't praying for show. This is praying for the next hour. And God wants us to become dependent upon him. In fact, That takes us right to the next life application. God wants us to bring our problems to him rather than try to figure things out on our own. He does. And this is what he was trying to teach Philip and the rest of the disciples. I'm God. I can do things you cannot do. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. That was written later in life by Peter. So Peter did get it before he died. Give all your worries and cares to God because he cares about you. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going to really get that before I die. Cause I'm just like Philip, I can see Jesus. The disciples had seen Jesus do miracles too, but here they got in a situation where they'd seen him make blind people see and lame people walk and heal all kinds of other diseases. But they'd never seen him do this yet. I wonder if he can handle this. And it never even entered Philip's head that Jesus had more than enough power that he's God and there's no problem that he can't handle. Come to me, all you who are weary and carry, carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Some of you are here today and you have a heavy burden on your life. You have a big, you have some big decisions to make. You have some big worries that are facing you. And what Jesus would say to you, he would say this, bring your problems to me. Don't just try to figure things out on your own. And this is a lesson. Oh my goodness. I have to learn this myself. So I was praying through some big opportunities and things coming forward, uh, coming for us over the next few years. I think they're ahead of us here at Centerpoint Fellowship. I was just writing some things down last week about, boy, these are some things I need to make some decisions. I hope I have the wisdom. I hope I have the understanding for all this stuff. And then I thought, well, I'm not going to think about it right now. I'm going to go work on this sermon for this week. And it was this. Uh, I mean, sometimes I've told my wife that I sit there and think in my office, my guardian angel is sitting on my desk behind me. You know, when I'm working on my computer and just his shoulders are shaking, Go, Gabriel, you're to come see this. Look, look what he's going to write for this week. <laughs> he's going to stand in front of everybody else and tell them to depend on God. And you know why I think God does this? He wants me to learn this the same as you. And over and over again, we're going to have to. Why are we always so reluctant to trust in Jesus? We pray, oh, God, please help me get this job. And he helps you get the job. And you go, thank you, Lord, for helping me get the job. And then we have difficulty on the job. I don't know what to do. But I'll tell you what, if I post it on Facebook, that's the right thing to do. I know that's true. (laughs) Because I'll get counsel from complete strangers, and that's got to be right. But I haven't prayed about it. I haven't surrendered it to God. Why do we do that? And maybe it's because our faith isn't nearly as strong. Maybe we don't trust him near as much as we say we do. This was a test for Philip. He wasn't there yet. Neither were the other disciples. The story continues. John 6, starting verse 8. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Well, there's a young boy here, Lord, with five barley loaves, two fish. But what good is that with this huge crowd? Well, Jesus said, well, I'll show you what good it is. Tell everybody to sit down. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered 5,000. You wonder how they numbered the men. Well, men and women and children didn't eat in public together in those days in the Jewish community. So the men would have sat by themselves. It would have been pretty easy to figure it out. And then Jesus took the loaves gave thanks to God and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish and they all ate as much as they wanted. And after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing's wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps. And if you'd circle 12 baskets, please. There were 12 baskets left over. How many disciples did Jesus have? 12. I don't think that that is a coincidence. He was trying to teach them He's trying to teach Andrew and Philip and the rest of the disciples, come to me with problems that are too big for you. Oh Lord, we don't have enough money to pay for this. Lord, all the guys a little boy's lunch, what good is that? Well, I'll show you what good it is. Each of them are standing there with a heaping basket of stuff left over. Is it enough now? And that brings us to another note in your outline. In the hands of God, a little is a lot. In the hands of God, a little is a lot. Would you say that with me, please? In the hands of God, a little is a lot. One more time. In the hands of God, a little is a lot. Now, all glory to God, Ephesians 3.20, who is able. Paul wrote this through his mighty power work within us to do accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. I could put my name in there. Now a glory to God who's able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than John might even ask or think. Why are we so quick to give up on God? Uh, I, can't, I can't be a small group leader. God called me to that. I've never done that before. I've never been to seminary. He's got to get somebody else. I mean, I know I should do it, but I can't do it. He can't use somebody like me. Why not? Well, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. If God calls you to do something, the right question isn't to ask, "Can I do this by my by myself?" The right question is, "Did God call me to do this?" Yeah. Can He handle it? Yeah. Okay. We're good. That was the lesson. I asked you to feed the people, Philip. I didn't tell you to figure out how to pay for it. I asked you to feed the people. Well, all we got is this. A little in my hands is enough. It's the way this church was founded ordinary people, but we've always believed that ordinary people in the hands of God are enough to get His work done if He's called us to it. I don't want you to take just my word for it. I'd like you to hear from Tom Bernard, one of our original elders here.
1: My name is Tom Bernard. I am uh, fortunate enough to be one of the original members um, of getting this church started. My wife and I, Karen, had um, met with a few other guys. We decided that we wanted to get kind of a church Bible study together, and we met for the first Sunday first Sunday in October of 2009, and there was about 45 to 50 of us. Uh, We were meeting at one of the guys' houses. Um, We had a video of John, uh, and we went through the Bible study, listened to some music from Nick Osterman. We took up an offering. We prayed at the end. And that was pretty much the very first Sunday that Centerpoint ever had. We kind of divvied up, hey, what jobs need, what do we have to get done? And we knew that we had taken an offering up. And I guess I drew the short end of the stick. And they said, Tom, you're the finance guy. I got a finance background, I run my own business. So I took all the money, went to the bank, opened up a bank account for the church. And it kind of went from there. We just assigned jobs of things that we know needed to be done. The next Sunday we met, it exploded. We had 75 or 80 people that came. The next Sunday we met again. There was about 100 people came, and we had quickly outgrown uh, Craig's living room that we were meeting in. One of the guys, Walter, who's the manager of the hotel, said, hey, why don't we stay? We just got place room here. We went to the hotel. We had 125, then hundred, and it just took off from there. I, mean, I remember the day John asked me to become an elder and it the hair on the back of my neck stood up I was terrified I thought this guy that not know me that well he'd never ask. didn't have really anything to offer but myself that night I went home and talked to my wife Karen we prayed about it and I thought you know what if if some reason we're all in this thing together I don't have anything to offer but myself and I'm gonna give it everything that I've got to see the church now from where it started, nobody that was an original elder or met had any idea that this was was not a planned goal. We just wanted to see what would happen. It's When I walk in there and all the services are full and you, it takes you a half an hour to get out of church to say hello and you've met new friends and to see lives are changed, I, I'm just blown away. I, I don't know what to say. The most thing I learned is just to step, get out of the way and trust God. Either you're going to believe this or you're not. And if you say you're going to believe, God, I have nothing to offer but myself, use me however you want to, that has been life transforming for me. Amazing things have happened that would have not happened otherwise. If somebody came to me and said, I don't have anything or much to offer God, I'd tell them, "No. no, none of us do. But you give God your heart and give Him what you've got, and He will bless it beyond what you could ever do yourself, and you will be absolutely blown away.
0: We should just say amen and stop right there. Okay, that's pretty good. Do you know a little in the hands of God is a lot? Do you know if God's calling you to step out in faith, be a part of a missions opportunity, to be a leader of a small group, be a leader in this church, called to reach out to one of your neighbors and you're going, I'm not qualified, I can't do it. If he called you to do it, then trust him to provide what you need. Of course we can't do it. The disciples couldn't do it. That wasn't the question. The question was, will you trust me? because he can do things I can't do. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. It's good news to me. Man, it's good news. I don't have to figure it all out. I have to trust him. So do you. Disciples had a hard time, point two, grasping the significance, the feeding of the 5,000. They'd all been standing there with a basket of bread left over. And Jesus was going, okay, we good here? Right, and so here's what happened. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake. After telling everyone goodbye, Jesus went up in the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, late that night uh, the disciples were in the boat in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He intended to go past them. When they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage, I am here. Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed, for they still didn't understand. Please underline this. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Even though they'd stood there with a basket of scraps, 12 baskets, 12 disciples, didn't have the money, couldn't figure out how they were going to do it, and Jesus could handle it, they still didn't understand it when Jesus calmed the storm. Mark says so. Now, you notice I read this out of Mark's account, not John. I'll talk about that in a second. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Their hearts were too hard. They'd seen Jesus heal, but now when it came to multiplying bread, oh, I'm not sure you can do that. They'd seen him multiply bread, but can he handle the wind and the waves? I don't think you can do that. I mean, you get the idea. They'd been rowing until three in the morning. Jesus is up on the hillside praying. None of them have cried out to him yet. father, I'm gonna have to go down there. And you get that exact idea because he's about to walk right by them and they cry out to him. Oh, oh, you need me now? Oh, okay, it's okay. I'll get in the boat with you. The storm stops, they're amazed. How'd you do that? (laughs) I'm God. I mean, that brings us to the note here. Jesus is God in the flesh. There is no problem he cannot handle. There's no problem too big for him. Would you read that note with me, please? Jesus is God in the flesh. There is no problem he cannot handle. Now, would you turn to the person next to you and repeat it again? Jesus is God in the flesh. There is no problem he cannot handle. We need to remind each other of this because we forget it all the time. Here we are again. God, thank you for the job. Oh God, I'm having problems in my job. Why'd you give me this job? I hate this job. Oh God, why have you left me? Why have you forsaken me on this? I haven't. I don't know how to handle this. I know, I do. Bring it to me. God, I know you could handle that situation a year ago and I know you came through and really provided for us. But Lord, now this is another situation. I don't know if you can do this. And we're so filled with doubt and our hearts are so hard. I read that from Mark's account because this account is in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four gospel writers wrote about this miracle. This was so pivotal in their understanding. It was so pivotal. They all wanted, every one of them wanted anybody reading their account about the life of Jesus. You got to hear this story. Because this is where we are. It's where you and I are. We are so weak in our faith. Flip your outline over. There's a verse from Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh, sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. O sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too hard for you. So what would be the life application? Well, I should have put in there C.1. Okay. Life application. When our faith gets tested, we have an opportunity to grow and mature. Point one, life application. God wants us to bring our problems to him rather than try to figure things out on our own. The disciples had to learn this again. Yeah, he could heal people, but can he feed people? Okay, yeah, he can do that too. We had 12 baskets left over. Jesus is, can do amazing things. Now we're in a storm. Can he handle the storm? Yeah, And the whole goal was to get them successively to say, hey, God can handle anything. If I follow Jesus, even if I'm overwhelmed, he's not. Because nothing's too hard for him. And if that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? Amen. I'm telling y'all we need to learn this lesson. And God is just allowing this stuff to be dripped in on these guys over and over again. I mean, there have been many people who have speculated, what was Jesus praying for when he was up on the mountain when these guys were struggling? And some commentators, they say he was praying for more wind. <laughs> it's like, Lord, wear them out. It's three in the morning. They're not giving in yet. And maybe he has to do that with me. Because I sit there and think, oh, I got to figure this out. It's all on me. It's all on me. Poor pitiful me. Seriously. When are you going to come to me, John? Why do you worry about things so much? Why do you rely on your own limited resources so much? Come to me. Point three, not only did disciples misunderstand what was going on, the people who had eaten the miraculous meal of bread and fish, they misunderstood Jesus completely. I mean, they didn't get it at all. Disciples might have been slow on the uptake, but the people who had the food, they completely didn't get it. Point A, the people who had been there, they wanted to make Jesus their king so he would give them free bread from heaven every day. This is a sweet deal. They went out in the middle of nowhere and they got fish and chips. All they could eat. And this was great. And when the people saw Jesus do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we've been expecting. In the Old Testament, Moses, before he had died, said, there'll be a prophet like me whom the Lord will send and he'll rescue the people. Well, Moses, God allowed Moses to Through Moses, there had been manna provided in the wilderness. Now this guy was multiplying bread. Hey, maybe this is the guy. And when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Well, after he had walked across the lake, that's what the dot, dot, dot there is, the people came after him. They got in boats and sailed after him. And when they found him again on the other side, Jesus told them, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. And they answered, Well, then show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? I mean, other than multiply the food yesterday. Okay? What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness... And Jesus said, my father offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. And they were thinking only in terms of physical bread. They were talking about the story in Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy where it's recounted that as the children of Israel traveled through the wilderness, God miraculously provided bread from heaven for them. Manna, little flakes of bread that would appear on the ground every morning. They were commanded by God to go out and gather it. And if you were old and infirm, even if you gathered a little, it would miraculously multiply so you'd have enough. If you went out and tried to gather a lot, it would just somehow kind of melt down to only be enough. So those who gathered little had enough and those who gathered too much had enough. And they would make it into cakes and they would eat it. And it was sweet to the taste and apparently very good for them. And so they said, well, look, Why don't you give us man every day? Like Moses did. And Jesus said, well, look, don't get caught up in physical food. I came for more than that. In fact, that's the note in your outline. Jesus didn't come to fill our stomachs. He came to give us eternal life. I mean, real life is not about just satisfying our appetites we fall into the same trap. I mean, we think, well, you know, Lord, if you give me enough money, so I have the right clothes and the right vacations and the right cars and the right type of house, and I've got everything, I've got all the security, then I'm good. Now I've got real life. And Jesus goes, that isn't real life at all. I came to give you eternal life. I want to get your souls ready for heaven. If I just get you addicted to the things of earth, it makes it even harder. So don't get caught up in that. What was interesting, Moses himself, before he died, had told them this, pretty much the same thing. This is Deuteronomy 8.3. If you would write that in the margin, Deuteronomy 8.3. Um, can we put that on the screen, please? It says this, that yes, God humbled you. This is Moses speaking to the children of Israel. And he says this, God humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a, feed, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. And here's why he did it. Not just so your bellies would be full, but God did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Isn't that interesting? He didn't say, Hey, God did this to make you just to fill your bellies every day. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, when they had to go gather the manna, it's significant that it would appear on the ground every morning. So every morning the people had to go out in the presence of God and bow down in his presence and pick up the manna. Every morning it was a reminder to them, God is faithful to provide for my needs. God is faithful. He can do things I can't do. Every morning they had to go bow down in his presence. He said, don't you understand? Moses said this, for 40 years you ate that manna. And he didn't do it just to fill your bellies. He wanted to teach you that you can trust him. He can do things you can't do. They had to eat it for 40 years, by the way, because their parents were supposed to go into the promised land and wouldn't go in. And a whole generation had to die off over 40 years so their children could go in because the parents had said, We get into that promised land, there's giants that live there, and they'll kill our kids. And God said, If you won't trust me, then the very children you're worried about will be the ones that go in 40 years from now. Turn around and march through the wilderness for 40 years. When are you going to learn to trust me? And now, here Jesus multiplies the bread, and we're right back in the same circumstance. We don't live by bread alone. And so Moses had said that. He goes, God did that to test you. So every day you had to bow down and remind yourself, he's the one who provides for your needs. Trust him, not your stomach. Well, Jesus amplified this. He said, I am the bread of life. If you want manna, understand this. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I offer so the world may live is my flesh. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. He was talking about the fact that in a little while he would be crucified. His body would be nailed to a cross. His blood would be shed. He was the sacrifice that would get us right with God. To pay the penalty of sin, something has to die. An animal had been sacrificed over and over again. Goats and lambs and bulls. And their blood had been shed for generations. And Jesus said, I've come to do away with that and offer a once and for all sacrifice. My own body. My own blood. When that's done, you'll be right with God. And instead of worrying about food for your stomach, if you follow me, you'll save your souls but all they could think about was the free bread. And that brings us to point, or to 1 Corinthians 11, the night of, uh, before he was crucified, Jesus gathered his disciples together at a special meal, and he took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. He broke it in pieces and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Bit by bit, the disciples would have been learning this. They would have thought back to that. Conversation that Jesus had with the people with the bread. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. And the awareness was dawning on the disciples the whole day. The next day when they saw him hanging on the cross, they went, oh, that's what he meant. Well, the people who had eaten the miraculous meal Point B, most of the people, they didn't believe Jesus could have come from heaven, so they deserted him. I mean, they had followed him. It was great that he could do some miracles. It was great that he could multiply fish and bread, but eating his flesh and drinking his blood, what? Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because Jesus had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and his mother. How can he say I came down from heaven? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? And at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. I mean, Jesus has always told people, hey, count the cost before you follow me. I mean, where we start on this, Jesus didn't come into, my, into this world to make my life easy and make me comfortable. He came to prepare me for eternity. He came to pay the penalty for my sins, to set me free. He died so I could live, and he did that for you too. To eat his flesh and drink his blood means to admit I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I am weak, but he is strong. I'm not asking him to come and make my life easier. I'm coming to ask him to give me a brand new life for eternity. And there are many people when they hear that message today, they still walk away. And that brings us to the last life application. I must decide whether or not I will follow Jesus. There's two eyes in that sentence, if you'd circle them, please. I must decide whether or not I will follow Jesus. Then Jesus turned to the 12 disciples and he asked them, are you going to leave too? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know that you are the Holy One of God. Elsewhere in John 1, John recorded... To all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God. We have an expression that you'll hear me say many times at center point. I'd like you to write it in at the bottom. God has no grandchildren. God has no grandchildren. He doesn't. God only has children. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean exactly what John meant. Those who believed in him and accepted him, he gave them the right to become the children of God, not the grandkids. Well, my mom and dad go to church, John, doesn't that count for something? Well, good for mom and dad. What about you? Do you have faith in Christ? John, my grandfather, he worked for Billy Graham. Well, good for grandpa. What about you? What do you believe? Do you wanna believe in Jesus? If, it, if going to church brings business contacts and it's good for your business to pass out cards before and after the worship services? Do I want to be a part of this Christianity thing because I think it's kind of like magic dust that'll make all the problems go away in my life? Or do I want to follow my Lord and Savior who died on the cross for me because I'm a sinner and if I follow him, he promises me that he will prepare me for eternity. He'll put his Holy Spirit inside of me and he'll change me. He'll change the way I think about things. And will bring me into situations that are difficult where I'm going to have to choose to forgive. I'm going to have to choose to trust. I'm going to have to choose to love even if people aren't lovely in return. Now, if you want to follow that kind of savior, you follow Jesus. You want this to be a, a magic carpet ride where, hey, this means no problems in your life. Well, that's not what Jesus was selling. It means to eat of his flesh and drink of his blood. And in just a minute, we're going to celebrate Holy Communion together and remind ourselves of exactly that fact. But before we do, I'd like to have a word of prayer and ask God to do some business in our hearts. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity again to be here, and I thank you for John's gospel. I thank you for the words of Jesus. They are words of life. And, oh, God, I pray for a couple of things right now. First of all, Lord, I pray that for those of us who have been following you for a while, Lord, you'd remind us that you never told us that we were supposed to follow you and you'd help us a little bit at the beginning. After that, it was all on our, we're all on our own. You never said that. You told us to follow you and that you would empower us. You'd give us the desire and the power to become the people you want us to be. In just a moment of silence, if you need God's strength, if you are facing decisions or you are facing problems in your life that are too hard for you, cry out to God right now. Say, oh God, I need your help. God, I need your help with this illness. God, I need your help with this relationship. God, I need your help with these finances. God, I need your help. I need wisdom to know what to do with the opportunities ahead of me. If you need God's help, ask him right now and say, God, this is too big for me. Please help me. I don't want to fail this test. I don't want to try to do this all on my own. Oh God, forgive me for having a hard heart. Forgive me for believing you once a year ago or five years ago and trusting you then and now I'm doubting you again. Forgive me for when I doubt. Forgive me for when I limit your power. Forgive me, Lord, for being so terribly afraid of things. And God, I thank you for Jesus who died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood for me. And God, I want to follow him. God stretch me, prepare me. Remind me, Lord, when I'm going through hard things, the testings will come. And give me the wisdom to understand things as I should. I want to be godly. So when I die, Lord, I can run straight to your arms, and I know you. Give me a hunger for your word, Lord. I want to read your word every day. I don't want to live by bread alone. I want to trust every word that comes from your mouth. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.